Jesus said the most important of all the commandments is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. But how often do we get distracted from doing that very thing? And we always have a good reason. Welcome to Word for the Week, Season 2, Episode 41. Today we begin the Top 5 Countdown on Distractions. Join us as we discuss five examples from the Bible on very reasonable distractions and what to do about it. And just to be up front, we're going to do a fairly quick survey, really, of the first four and leave number one. It is a countdown, five, four, three, two, one. Mm -hmm. And leave number one for the Sunday message. So people will want to tune in to our new online feature, Sunday Follow-Up, in order to hear that. Right. And I guess we're being a little mercenary uh, doing it that way, but it will be worth it. So how did we end up on distractions this week? Well, as, as you know, we're in a, a Sunday series on life sappers, things that's like the color out of life and life out of faith. And distraction is certainly a life sapper. And of course, keeping in mind that the focus we're talking about is distraction from, from God. Right. And that leads to an interesting question, doesn't it? What kind of examples does the Bible give us on distraction? Well, you know, a great question that, in truth, there are tons of, of examples of distractions, but we take uh, five that are pretty good representation of, of the broader categories, and uh, so that's what we're going with today and Sunday. Alrighty. Well, to kick this off, let's start with a basic definition of the word. Mm -hmm. The Oxford Dictionary defines distraction as a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to something else. And a second definition adds this extreme agitation of the mind or emotions. Right, and both fit very well, and a, a psychology definition points out that distraction can be something brought on outside of us or inside of us, and we find that scripture offers a pretty good uh, representation of both. Right, so in context for today, we're talking about things that prevent a person from giving full attention to God. Mm -hmm. So here we go with five, number five in the countdown. Right, and uh, we're going to uh, identify these by using our very clever and insightful names. Very clever. <laughs> that we came. You're saying I had nothing I, to yes, do with nothing, it. Nothing. <laughs> nothing to do with these silly titles. But here they go. So number five distraction is this: preoccupation with what's good. Preoccupation with what's good. And the biblical. A biblical example we offer is Martha and Mary. Mm -hmm. Luke 10, 38-42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Mm -hmm. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me, left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. I think anybody who studies this passage probably gets where you're going. Mm -hmm. Martha's doing a good thing. It's right. a rare woman who doesn't want to be a good hostess when people come over and they have guests. Right. And if your Lord is coming to visit, I would imagine the ladies of the house would really be feeling the pressure. <laughs> right. Some ladies, you know, it's, if the pastor's coming over, they kind of get up to, to <laughs> can imagine. No, it's not the pastor. It's the Lord himself. So, uh, and thank God for, for wives in that. I know 
uh, if it was left to us guys, the way it'd be kind of like, yeah, people are coming over for dinner. Okay, let's let's put out a, a bowl of chips on the coffee table. Let's let's really go uptown. We'll make them barbecue chips, you know, that kind of thing. And then we think we've done a great job. So the story does highlight um, the first premise we're talking about. We're not just saying distractions, but there are really good reasons for distractions. And and Martha's a a very good example of that. So. And getting back to your chips on yeah. the table, I think sometimes uh, us who get too busy, the, yeah. the chips is probably the better thing to do and concentrate on, on better things sometimes. But yeah, we'll work that into some translation of Mary and Martha's. <laughs> but as Martha's doing the good thing, she's missing the excellent, and that's what, you know. Yeah, that's really what the story is really about. Cause it, like we said, just imagine that God is not just some, some teacher. God himself, is in the flesh, is coming over to your house. He's in the house. And he's going to um, be teaching you from his own mouth the secrets of God. So right. obviously this is extremely rare there in all right. of creation. There hasn't been too many people exposed to that. Uh, and uh, it's extremely uh, not just rare but temporary. Um, he only taught like this for three years, even when he was here. So Jesus dials her in. He's saying, you know, Martha, you're upset about many things. or It's getting under your skin. And he said, and the point being, these are temporary things, Martha. These are things that tomorrow this won't really even matter, whether you use the blue china or the white china. Mm -hmm. won't matter. So there can only be one conclusion. And if that isn't the stuff that matters, then Mary who has chosen to sit at his feet, has done the better thing. And, and, you know, we can all, like I said, we can all appreciate Martha's thinking here. Yeah. Um, you want to put out that good china right. when Jesus is coming over, but the bottom line remains, she was missing out on that priceless op opportunity once in a lifetime. Right, and, and, right. <laughs> and that's it. And that's the application for us. Uh, in the church even, is that you have all kinds of Marthas running around, you know. As a matter of fact, we all have a bit of that. There's, We've got this feeling we've developed where the more we're doing, the more mm -hmm. faithful we are. No matter what it is, the more we're doing. And, and usually it is good things, you know. Mm -hmm. We're running around doing good church things. Mm -hmm. And we get so busy doing the good things, we don't even stop to ask ourselves, are those the things we should be doing? Mm -hmm. And we end up doing this good stuff for Christ. Meanwhile, we're missing Christ himself where he's working in the moment. And as you said, what we end up doing is, yeah, we're doing the good thing. We're just missing the excellence. Okay, another example of this distraction is the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man's beaten and left for dead. And this happens in Luke 10, 30. In reply, Jesus said a man was um, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho mm -hmm. when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Mm -hmm. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Right. Now, we know how the story goes on with the Good Samaritan, but there's a variation of a theme going on here. Now, we have to go back to the time the priests were on a very highly regulated schedule. There were things to be done, and they had to be done on time, and they certainly had to be done. Mm -hmm. So here is this priest off to do these good things according to the law, 
And if he stopped to to um, save this life, he would be jeopardizing doing the good thing he's off to do. So he keeps on going. How about the Levite? Well, as far as the Levite, slightly different because uh, the priest, I think, if we really looked at it, you see how schedule becomes a big part. For the Levite, it's a bit different. A Levite has made a very super serious vow, and to um, break that vow is very, very serious. And part of the vow is to this hyper-following of the Mosaic law, you know, the ceremonial, everything. Mm -hmm. So here is this guy, he can break no parts of the law. There's this man laying in the ditch, still bleeding, you know, it looks pretty rough. Right. He could already be dead, he doesn't know. Uh, or he could die while he's attending to him. And the fact is, is that he is not allowed, according to his vow to the law, to handle a dead uh, animal or person. So he would be breaking his vow. So what does he do? Better not take the chance. Right. I'm doing a good thing here. Um, so I'm not going to go over there and help this this fellow. Now, like you say, these were good reasons. It just turns out, though, that the good was a distraction from what God wanted most. Yeah, and, and that word good is, is what we're really getting at, is that there's right. good reasons to be distracted. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, on to number four in our countdown. Number four, four, four. <laughs> which is obsession with the physical. Mm -hmm. Our biblical, biblical, I'm having trouble with that word today, mm -hmm. is between um, half-siblings of King David. Here are the highlights of the story. Very steamy story, by the way. Yes. Second <laughs> um, Samuel 13, 1-16. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. So Amnon laid down and pretended to be ill, and when the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight, so I may eat from her hand. And David sent word to Tamar at the palace, Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down, and she took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan Sorry. and served in the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said, so everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom, so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to, my bed, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? What could I... What could I get rid of? How could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You'd be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. Oh, that's, that's quite the, the portion of scripture into a reader in our time. Our brother wanting his sister sounds pretty creepy. Yeah, it does. You know, and, and I was thinking just before we kind of get into that, I was thinking of situations myself. Have you ever been in that situation where there, there was something that just seemed you were almost sick over trying to get and 
after you get it that you're, you you turn out hating it or you're disappointed or yeah. so you know we don't go too much into the results of where these distractions take us but a lot of times that's where people end up mm -hmm. now interesting like you say you would think that the uh, there's an incest going on here that's the big deal but it's not even the violation mm -hmm. um, and um, I, I, as bad as it sounds in our culture and of course one caveat that doesn't uh, uh, leave it for us, but it is at least in the direction, they're probably half si siblings, not the same right. mother. And keeping in mind that um, for centuries, monarchies, monarchies yeah. yeah, they that's they kept a very close bloodline, you know, royal bloodline. So uh, in, in the culture at the time, that wasn't the big taboo that was going on there. It was something else. Right. And the passage certainly gives that idea. Tamara herself offers the idea that they could be legally married. Right. Her shame was being forced into giving herself outside of marriage. Yeah, which I mean, in our culture, it feels so backwards to it as that it's nothing, that's no concern uh, to, to uh, uh, give oneself away before marriage. But in the situation it was, and with her being royalty on top of that, it was just unheard of. It was just really a wicked thing to do. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious from Amnon's um, reaction, he wasn't really concerned about this long-term relationship. He just had this immediate gratification that he was after, and he was just sick over trying to, to get this at any cost, and for him, really, without consequence. So... Right. Um, you know that 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 was the, where it was coming from. He was just distracted from life totally by this this lust. If you right. Yeah. And obviously, this is a story of sexual desire, but it applies to any desire or ambition in the physical world, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that's the point. Is in the physical world, there's so many things that can you can be physically obsessed over. I mean, mm -hmm. people can be obsessed over their careers. They can be obsessed over revenge. They can be obsessed even just over receiving uh, recognition. Uh, if you uh, look what what goes on there, uh, there all these obsessions crowd out uh, really uh, any type of common sense, I think, from, from the mind and the heart. Yeah, and I, I think of some of the stuff that we see on social media. Yeah. And, you know, people are willing to do just about anything, even hurt themselves if it will get them viewers. Yeah, there's a, an overriding desire, and that's just another type of physical satisfaction is a popularity. Um, hmm. What do I have to do to get the uh, most views on something? Uh, hmm. And to that, like you say, to, to points that are actually dangerous. So this overriding desire in the physical world is just pointing out, yeah, there's this steamy story with Tamara and, and Amnon, but uh, these desires we have in the physical world, man, they go in countless uh, directions. They can be all kinds of things going on. So, yeah, big distraction. Okay. Distraction number three. Three. In the three, countdown three. is fear of tomorrow. Fear of tomorrow. Luke 12, 27 through 31. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after 
such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Fear of tomorrow has always been a major preoccupation. I mm -hmm, mean, mm -hmm. and we certainly <laughs> see a lot of that in our day. Yeah, we certainly do. This one's no surprise. Uh, yeah, fear of the unknown. I guess that's it yeah. about tomorrow. It's fear of the unknown. Right. And we spend so much time preparing for what might be. In a, in a way, we could say we spend more time preparing for our nightmares than we do for our dreams. Yeah. And it's really all an illusion of control. I mean, just think of all the fearful reactions that happened during these COVID years. Yeah, like the hoarding toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Yeah, yeah. yeah when, you, when you're driven to the point you hoard toilet paper, you know, things are getting rough. And that's yeah. not as bad as it got. There yeah. were people out there resorting to horse pills, uh, yeah. even drinking urine as home remedies. And meanwhile, there's all the suspicion about taking a, a an approved vaccine. Right. Um, yeah, it got pretty crazy with the distraction of fear of what might happen. And judging by church statistics, the one thing that didn't happen with the related COVID fear is a renewed focus on God, unfortunately. Yeah, well, if... Um, if we take a look at um, uh, at how that went, uh, it's very true. There was um, a, a decline in in uh, you know reaching or uh, reaching out to God. In a, a churches, uh, for the most part, really haven't recovered. <coughs> but the the thing to to keep in mind, we we need to remember this. We prepare with common sense, of course. We are called to prepare for things. But this is the thing, fear doesn't have common sense. Fear is not preparation with common sense. Right. And like we said, the past two years are a pretty, pretty good indication of that. Well, let's wrap up this episode with a distraction in the opposite direction. Okay. Distraction number two is the tyranny of the present. Tyranny of the present. And we refer to the parable of the sower and the seeds. And here's Jesus explaining what it means in Mark 14. 4 13 through 20 then jesus said to them don't you understand this parable how then will you understand any parable the farmer sows the word some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown as soon as they hear it satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy but since they have no root they last only a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. Right, so... Uh, stop in, for a moment and think about this, and we'll see how it fits in. Is Think of these things that are being illustrated here. Satan taking away the word, or taking mm. away the seed. Uh, seeds unable to grow roots. Um, the idea of weeds choking out uh, good plants, or the, the scorching of the sun. Like when you consider the, do you see a general trend? How does it strike you? There are ways that can kill seeds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the it's a very real uh, illustration. Yeah. And uh, and Jesus deliberately designed because a parable, unlike just saying a truth, a parable is a story designed to get a point across. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus deliberately designs this parable with a sense of inevitability in it. Um, 
you know, kind of like, why do you think he did that? I guess to drive home the point that these things really do happen. Yeah, I mean, they really do happen. I agree. Birds, you leave seed out and, uh, you know, don't cover it. You can count on birds are going to eat it, of course. Birds being Satan in the, in the uh, parable. Uh, shallow roots, so make sure a, a plant will not last. Uh, weeds certainly choke out uh, good plants. Mm -hmm. And the sun is certainly hot. We know that in the Midwest. And the thing is, people are like soil in this way, is that ideas and, and mindsets, they start as seeds in our, in our mind and, and grow. But we are unlike the soil in this way, is that we do have free will and we do have a self-awareness that that dirt doesn't have. So there is the difference that we have to keep in mind as we look at the parable. Even with with free will, if we're powerless against the inevitable, how does this parable help us? Okay, and, and it's true. I mean, there's uh, we are powerless uh, in, in, the, in that grand scheme except for one thing. And, and God has allowed us this. It comes down to we do have a choice of what kind of soil we would really like to be. And scripture, scripture teaches that we can't transform ourselves, even if we want to. Yep. Romans chapter 7 teaches that. If that's the case, what's the hope in this parable? Yeah, exactly. And that, so far, we, you know, we get that point. We said, yeah, we really want to be. It doesn't matter. You can't, can't even be what you really want to be if that's holy. Mm -hmm. So we come back to the parable and the soil like us, it can't transform itself, but the farmer can. Mm -hmm. And uh, we cannot truly transform ourselves, but God who is the farmer can. Mm -hmm. uh, but he just won't do it against our will. And something else I think people need to take into account. This includes our true will that we might even disguise from ourselves. Hmm. He knows uh, it's a face well the will face it or not, but it's not just against our will. It's against our true will, even as we disguise it against ourselves. Some sometimes. So the parable is saying, truly desire to have God change you into good soil, or the uh, alternative is inevitable. Yeah, and I think that's where he's getting. There's where the inevit inevitability comes in. You're doing better with that word than I am. <laughs> But that's where it comes in. It's because you got two choices. You're either going to change and be a particular type of soil, or the other outcomes are simply inevitable. Hmm. So if we look at uh, what kills in this parable, bringing it back into our theme here, everything you look at, and I, I, I realize you can take several facets, that's the beauty of Scripture, but everything you look at is a metaphor for some type of distraction. Hmm. I mean, if you think about it, how does Satan take away the word? Um, he distracts. Uh, he he uh, bait and switch with some other things. It's something interesting, and sometimes I like to point this out to people when they get going on the whole Satan and the devil thing, is that if you look at how Scripture presents Satan, he's presented as the master manipulator. Uh, he's presented as the great deceiver, the father of lies the accuser before God, you know, all of these things. The one thing he is not presented as is that beast who can rip away our eternal life even against our will. And as a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says the exact opposite of Romans 8, 38, and 39. I'm convinced that neither death nor life 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right, and if, no matter what distractions we, t we take from Scripture or from life, especially as they deal with God himself and with what you just read, is distractions are a subtle way in which we voluntarily give up what we already have or at least have already been offered. And, and that's probably the saddest fact of all about this and distractions. Right. The solution seems simple enough, even though it's hard to do sometimes. It's what we brought up in the very beginning of our discussion, mm -hmm. making every effort to make keep the, the main thing the main thing. Yeah, keep the main thing the main thing. Which, of course, is our personal rela relationship with God through Christ. Yeah, and, and of course, that pretty much sums up what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And we've covered uh, all the broad categories for us, except for... Except for distraction number one. Right, which we will maniacally not reveal until <laughs> Sunday. Yes, oh, there it is, the evil laughter. Uh, so we're uh, inviting people to join us for the unveiling of number one live or they can click on the uh, Sunday follow-up and get it on the uh, podcast, webcast, or any of it through org uh, slash media. Right, and with that cliffhanger, we'll move on to our highlighted praise song for the week with the added bonus of another prayer by our much-loved little cutie trinity. Mm. Here's a fresh take on a classic hymn, Turn Your Eyes. May God guard you against distraction and may you remain able to keep the main thing the main thing. And until next week, be blessed. See ya. Dear God, we pray for you and we hope you for all of our enjoyment. And we have all of the fun we have. We pray for you and all of the games we have. This Lord, we love you so much in our hearts that makes us feel all of the joys. And it makes our heart shine. In the name of his name, amen.
You can also catch our live stream on Canaan Community's Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app.